0: The Shetlands. Islanders are proud and can be prickly about the name. It's either Shetland or the Shetland Islands and Cleves. Welcome to Tea Toast and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. I am your host, Rebecca Bud, and I'm looking forward to sharing this moment with you. I am delighted that I am traveling virtually to Unst to meet up with my dear friend, Sarah McBurney, who was our guide on our 2018 Shetland adventures. Sarah conducts exclusive guided tours with personalized itineraries for visitors to Shetland from all over the world. We came as visitors to experience this amazing place and left as friends thanks to Sarah and the many people we met along the journey through the Shetland Islands. I invite you to put the kettle on and add to this exciting dialogue on tea, toast, and trivia. Welcome, Sarah. I am delighted that you have joined me to share the stories of Shetland. Oh, well,
1: thank you very much for inviting me, Rebecca. It's lovely to see you and to speak to you again.
0: We had an unforgettable time with you, Sarah. We went from one end of Shetland to the other end, and it was magnificent. Everywhere we went, we saw beautiful country and met wonderful friends. My first question then is, where is Shetland?
1: Shetland is in the North Atlantic, almost equidistant from Scotland and Norway. So we're a long way from everybody.
0: What draws people to Shetland? Is it the crafts, the bird watching, or is it the ancient history?
1: It's all of those things and more. Because if you're a knitter, it's a knitter's paradise. If you're interested in Viking heritage, then we've got it. You can go all the way back to the Mesolithic. It might be your roots. It may be that you're great-grandparents went to Australia and you're coming back here to find out where they came from. So there are endless reasons for people to come to Shetland.
0: Well, Shetland came into the foreground when we heard Jamie Perez was in the picture.
1: Well, we seem to have become very famous for murders, which is very strange because we don't have them.
0: (laughs) I came to Shetland because I saw the scenery on the TV series. It was a tour of Shetland.
1: Well, that is actually a lot of the reasons that people now come to Shetland, because they've seen it, and they want to come and see for themselves, and they want to see where Jimmy lived, and they want to see the locations, the beautiful countryside, the geology, the people, all of whom are alive. And doing well. (laughs) They just become intrigued by Shetland and the history.
0: Everywhere you go in Shetland, there is a story. Could you tell me about the Musa Broch?
1: Musa Broch is probably my favorite place on the whole of Shetland. Musa Broch is the most complete broch in the world. Situated on the island of Musa, you can get there by a little ferry, go and visit, climb up the broch and explore it it's purported to be an iron age fort or the chief's house but i actually think that musa Bro was an astronomical device it's built like a cooling tower it's a tall 45 foot high stone built double walled tower with a space between the two walls so that you have six galleries in the walls which are all accessible because there is actually a staircase that goes from the bottom right up to the top. You can climb up the stairs and you can stand on the top of the brock and you can see the mainland from there. But the interesting bits are on the inside of the walls. There are no external openings apart from the doorway to go in. All of the openings are on the inner walls. And over the years of being a guide, I realised if you stand in there and it's a sunny day, The sun actually shines down into that building and creates an arc on the inner wall. And slowly over the spring and the summer, when you get to summer solstice, the sun actually shines right down and into the doorway and creates a golden blob of light on a stone that sticks out at the bottom of the wall. So it wasn't until I'd maybe been a guide for six, seven years that I started to actually think in terms of why would I build a rock? And of course, then the penny dropped. And I thought, this is a sundial. Because the sun shines into this building and depends on the elevation. So at the lowest point in the winter, it can only penetrate into the top of the broch because the sun is so low in the sky. And at the height of the summer, the sun is never directly overhead here. It's always at an angle. The higher it got in the sky, the lower it could actually penetrate down into the building. And of course, eventually... I had to go and check it out. So I went and stayed there overnight. I went and camped there in about 2008. I actually proved it to myself by sitting inside the Broch and waiting for the sun to drop down and down and down and down until it hit that rock and created the golden blob of light. The openings above the doorway are like ventilation holes or windows. The sun moves down all those spaces until we can get into the actual doorway. But a month before, it shines only down to the first slab that creates the lintel at the doorway. But the lintel isn't solid, it's two stones that touch one another, but there are gaps on either side. And the sun, when a month before, actually shines through the gap and hits the same stone. So they would have been able to gauge where they were in the year by simply looking at all those gaps at the the height of the sun. I don't know if all the rest of the brocks, because we do have the remains on Shetland of around 122 brock sites. Um, Some of them are identifiably brocks. Some of them, you know that it was a brock just because of the shape of what was left. Some stoneworks survived, like the one in Lerwick. at Clickham in and the one at Jarlshof. But this is the only complete one. It's the only one we've got to go on as to what a broch was actually like. It would have been a very useful building because those galleries inside the walls would have been ideal for storing all the grain that you produced. And Shetland, up until the late Iron Age, actually grew lots and lots of barley. And if you're going to grow lots of grain, you have to keep it in the right conditions. Otherwise... You won't have any seed for next year, any grain to turn into flour. It's money because they would have traded with it. Very important commodity in those days. And the cells in the wall, the galleries, would have been ideal for storing grain because they're dry, they're cold, and you can defend it. So maybe all the rest of the rocks were actually built as a copy of that one. There could also be communication towers, so when it was the solstice, maybe they would light a fire in the rock, and when the smoke was coming out of the top, everybody would know that it was the summer solstice, or the winter solstice, or the equinox. Very interesting structure, and possibly related to archaeology on Orkney, because Orkney has some very amazing stone circles, Maze, Howe, and other structures all over the place, and I believe that maybe people from Orkney came and built that broch as an astronomical device. It sits on 60 degrees north latitude. The people who were building in those days, thousands of years ago, knew what they wanted to build. It wasn't some random thing. They must have actually placed it there on purpose.
0: When we first came to Shetland, I did not realize that everywhere we went, we would be surrounded by water. We would go over a hill and there would be this expanse of water. It was marvelous. I think that was one of the reasons that Don loved Shetland so much, because the water was there. The land was green when we came, and then there was the blue. And there was a connection to the ocean. So I would imagine that anyone that lived in Shetland would understand the ocean.
1: I love the fact that the sea is everywhere that you can be driving along, and then, like you said, all of a sudden there's this wonderful seascape um, looking out over a sound, which is a body of water between two islands. When you get up into the high places, like up at Saxoboard Hill, and you can look down across all the islands and see both the North Sea and the Atlantic, because we've got two different bodies of water, one on either side of us, and you can never be more than three miles from the sea anywhere. Yes, it's lovely.
0: You took us to a place where the Atlantic Ocean met the North Sea. What is that place called?
1: Are you talking about Mavis Grind, which has a barrier? The the road actually runs between the two? Yes. Grind is a barrier, the Viking word for barrier. It's pronounced grind. And Mavis Grind is the narrowest path. Anywhere in Shetland, you've got both seas. If you've got a good throwing arm, you could actually throw a stone from one sea to the other. It's about 200 yards from the North Sea to the Atlantic. When you stop and you look, you realise that actually the two bodies of water are not the same height. The North Sea is always higher than the Atlantic, even when the tide's in on the Atlantic side which I found very, very odd at first. I just thought, how can this be? Set a little islands in the sea and then find that one side has a higher tide than the other side. And eventually I worked out, because the moon is what's in charge of the tides, when the moon is actually pulling the Atlantic away and the tide is going out, it's also pulling the North Sea towards it as well. It's also the point where when you drive up into the North Mainland, you leave the soft rolling hills of limestone and sandstone behind, and you move into far more dramatic scenery of red granite and basalt. North Mainland is quite different to the South Mainland.
0: What I didn't realize before I arrived in Shetland was Shetland's heritage is both Norse and Scottish. How does history bring two peoples together?
1: Well, if you go back in time to the probably 850 AD, the Vikings came to Shetland from Norway and probably other parts of Scandinavia. Norway wasn't Norway then. It was just Scandinavia and there were different kingdoms. And it was King Christian of Denmark that owned, I don't know whether it was all of Shetland, but generally it seems to have been that way. So for five, six hundred years, the Vikings settled here. They actually used Shetland as bases so that they could go and raid down in Scotland and England. They think that the island of Unst was actually one of the first places that the Vikings settled there are lots of identified Viking longhouse sites on Amst, maybe more than anywhere else. Basically, the people believed in equality. So men and women were equal. They had equal rights. When they divided the land up, they divided it equally so that everybody had a good bit, a bad bit, a bit of the foreshore. And generally speaking, you know, they cut out all the possibilities of what people would fight about, fall out about. But unfortunately... James III of Scotland decided that he actually wanted these islands, that they needed them. They were the gateway to the Atlantic, and he decided the best way to get his hands on them was to marry the Danish princess Margaret. 1469 was when the pawning took place. It was pawned, and the idea of marrying the Danish princess was that they knew that King Christian didn't have any money. So in order to secure everything and the dowry, first of all, they cancelled the debt that King Christian owed to Scotland, but then King Christian had to find the rest of it. And so he pawned Orkney and Shetland. He had every intention of redeeming them, but unfortunately, every time he tried to pay off the debts, the Scots wouldn't actually accept it. And of course, eventually he died, and then just by default, Shetland remained part of Scotland. But it meant that the people here... When this took place, they'd been living under Udall law, which was the the Viking law, the Norse law, which basically says the land was given to the people by God, therefore the people own the land, and they all own it equally. Unfortunately, when the Scots took possession of the islands, they inflicted feudal law on everybody, and feudal law states that everything belongs to the crown, which was why nobody owned anything after that. Shetlanders will always consider themselves to be descendants of the Vikings. I cannot remember one Shetlander who's gone. Oh, no, I'm Scottish. They're Shetlanders. When I look back through history, right back all the way through to Mesolithic or Neolithic, if you think in terms of the last Ice Age and the fact that 10,000 years ago that came to an end, And slowly the planet started to thaw out and water levels started to rise. Shetland at that point was actually part of Scandinavia and and Britain. So there was no North Sea. So people would have lived all the way across what is now the North Sea. Probably when the levels rose and cut the islands off, they would have cut off whoever was here as well. And I don't think that the Vikings coming here at a later date actually introduced the Viking genes. I think they were already here. There wasn't this sort of Pictish invasion from Scotland or people coming up from wherever. The people here were already the descendants of the people who came later on.
0: When we look at a society, we look at their events and their festivals. What is the most famous festival of Shetland?
1: Definitely Up Heliar up is on the last Tuesday in January. It's the Viking Fire Festival that welcomes the coming of lighter nights and the end of winter. It's perfectly timed because by the time you get to the last Tuesday in January, obviously you're about five weeks from the winter solstice. You actually are quite aware of the fact that every evening it's probably about five more minutes of daylight. So when it's dark at half past three in the afternoon on the winter solstice, maybe by the time you get to Upheliar, it's four o'clock when it gets dark. But you're very aware from that moment on that you are actually climbing out of the darkness and towards the sunny light nights again. We have so missed the last two years of no Upheliars. It has been so strange not to have Upheliar. It is brilliant. It is just marvelous. Thousands of people on the streets around Lewick, and everybody's congregated around the town hall, along Hill Head, over the play park, which is where they burn the Viking longship. It involves about a thousand men. And when the maroon goes up and all the lights go out, they light the first torch and then all the thousand torchbearers all have their torches lit. And then slowly they pull the Viking longship with the Viking squad And then all of the guys in francy dress follow on in two lines. It takes around an hour to go all the way around and double march up and down the roads and take the Viking longship into the play park and eventually burn the boat.
0: Oh, well, are they dressed like Vikings?
1: The Viking squad is, they are the leaders and they have fantastic outfits. It takes a year to actually prepare for a peliar. So over that year, they've made all their costumes, all their Viking outfits and their shields and their helmets and their swords and all these things, axes. They are our ambassadors for a year. So whoever is the the Geyser Jarl, the head of the, the Jarl squad, he's actually been waiting for 15 years to become the Geyser Jarl on that particular date because there are 15 in the committee and the one who joins... He's got 15 years before he actually gets to be the Geyser Jarl.
0: Oh, really?
1: And they all take out an endowment policy so that in 15 years, time when that matures, they have enough money to uh, maybe even come in and be in the New York parade, going down to Scotland to the tattoo at Edinburgh. They go all over the place. It's a real honour to be in the Upheliar squad. And the rest of the squads are actually all people from all over Shetland who come down and take part. So there are around 48 to 50
0: squads. What a wonderful celebration.
1: It is just stupendous. can't even describe how it makes you feel because I'm not actually from Shetland, but it makes me proud of Shetland. It makes me proud that they can pull this off every year without fail. No matter what the weather, it could be a blizzard, it could be a lovely calm night. It hasn't been cancelled apart from COVID. And I think in World War I and uh, World War II. So there's been very few instances where it's actually been cancelled.
0: You said there was a thousand people with torches?
1: Yes, there's around a thousand men involved in it. And they're in two lines. So that you've got 500 on either side of the road as they're marching and singing and singing all the Up LR songs and the band's playing and it's all torch lit so there's fire all over the place, which is quite interesting if it's really windy. <laughs> it's become a very, very, very popular thing from people coming all over the world with their TV cameras and their visitors and trying to get a bed on Shetland anywhere for Up LR is very difficult.
0: What is it like to live on Shetland?
1: Shetland is actually a very kind of free place to live. I suppose it's whatever you want it to be, because it's small. I mean, 23,000 people, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a decent sized village or a small town. Whereas there are only 600 people on my island. Maybe about 800 on Yell, one next to me. And then on the mainland of Shetland, maybe 20,000 spread the whole distance. And about half of those people living in Lerwick in the main town. From an outsider's point of view, it's heaven. Because you've got the most beautiful scenery you surrounded by the sea, which sometimes can be as flat, calm as a mirror, but on other times it can be absolutely furious and throwing itself all over the place. At any point in time when I've been irate about something and I've been driving along, sort of grinding my teeth, I just thought, oh, but who cares? Look at this. Oh, it's lovely. I suppose in some ways people find it hard to live here because people miss things. They want more than Shetland has to offer. But if you're not bothered about those things, then it's heaven because you don't have to put up with any of those things either. There's all sorts of perks to living on Shetland. And lots and lots of oxygen is one of them.
0: (laughs) As we leave this conversation, which I don't want to leave, and you will come back, won't you, Sarah? I promise. Oh, wonderful.
1: It's nice to speak to you both. Thank you for inviting me. Thoroughly enjoyed it been
0: lovely. Sarah, thank you so much for being with me today. It has been a joy to return to Shetland and Unst. You have been amazing today. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for joining Sarah and me on Shetland. And a special thank you, Sarah, for sharing the stories, the histories and myths of Shetland. I am looking forward to meeting up with you again on Tea, Toast, and Trivia and returning to Shetland one day Listeners, I invite you to connect with Sarah on her website C. Shetland. You are only an internet click away from a remarkable adventure that will take you from birdwatching, archaeology to the celebration of Up Helia Until next time we meet dear friends Keep safe and be well.